This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Keith Ferrazzi is founder and chairman of Ferrazzi Greenlight, a research-based consulting and training company, and he is the New York Times bestselling author of Never Eat Alone and Who's Got Your Back. Wharton management professor Adam Grant recently interviewed Ferrazzi when he visited campus as a guest lecturer in the Authors at Wharton series. In this interview, Ferrazzi talks about the importance of making a people plan, how to learn to become more generous with those around you, and what to do when your generosity is met with skepticism. I'm Adam Grant. I'm here with New York Times bestselling author Keith Ferrazzi. He's written Never Eat Alone, as well as Who's Got Your Back? Also the former chief marketing officer at Deloitte and Starwood Hotels. In addition, he runs Ferrazzi Greenlight, and he's really focused a lot on philanthropy and disadvantaged communities these days, as well as research around behavior change. Keith, pleasure to have you here. You did that in one take. I'm so impressed. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, maybe or maybe I didn't. We'll see. (laughs) Thanks a lot for having me. Now, we'd love to chat with you a little bit about building relationships and and networking, what you're known best for. So talk to us a little bit about how you think about building relationships. Well, I don't think uh, the fact that I'm here is probably um, part and partial of the fact that you and I believe very much the same thing. And that is, number one, relationships are crucial to all of our success. No matter what we want to achieve in our life, uh, whether it's to be president of the United States, the CEO of a company, to, to write some social ill, whatever it is, people are crucial in achieving that. And that's what we study. We are a research institute on relational and collaborative sciences, but particularly focused not just on studying the relationships and how one goes about building better relationships, but more importantly, how do you change behavior? How, in fact, do you sustainably change the behaviors in our life to step up to be more effective in our relationships and our collaboration? So number one, relationship primacy is really critical to me. I always ask the question, what do you want to achieve in life? And then the next question you always have to ask is who? Who are the people that are necessary to achieve that? And that's when we introduce something that we call a people plan. Um, The next thing we believe in is that people are too damn busy. People are too damn busy to spend any time with you. And, and t- people are too damn busy to pay attention to your issues, unless, of course, you lead all relationships with generosity. What's in it for them? And that's sort of the old way of thinking that it's a balance uh, sort of scorecard, but it's really not. It's really just leading in the world with an unadulterated focus on making other people successful. And if you walk around the world creating an environment around yourself that invites people in to be generous to them, you will have extraordinary success. And I can get into a lot more of the detail, but I think those are the basic principles. People are critical and go help them. I I love the message. So let's talk about how to make it practical. So if I want to think about being more generous to the people around me, what are some of the steps you recommend? Well, the first thing we think about is um, you've got to develop what we call your currency. And there are three layers of currency that you have to offer, generosity. Um, any one individual can exercise any one of them with, uh, with more ease or not. The first layer is the kind of generosity that just makes people want to be around you. We call that universal currency. Um, are you the kind of person that people want to be around? You know, some people use wit. Um, but I have to tell you that the, the leading indicator of are you the kind of pe- person that people want to hang around is authenticity. It's vulnerability, actually, to teach leaders that for their ability to create environments around themselves that invite their own team in, an organization abroad, et cetera, it's, it's their leading with their own humanity. 
there's 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 the part of our brain, the reptilian brain, that 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 uh, drives our fight flight mechanism is really what's in control here. Anthropologically, while we long to connect with other people, we long to be uh, in somebody's what's called an in group, right? Um, on the other hand, we're so fearful, particularly in the last 20 to 30 years, where we don't have as much practice being communal, we're so fearful that, that another person is them instead of us, that they're not our tribe, they're another tribe, that we walk around putting guards up, pushing people away. The ability to get into somebody's in-group is the ability to let your own guard down. So that's probably the first thing, and I can get into a lot more detail around that. In fact, do in my second book, Who's Got Your Back, where I teach people how to be more effective at building those lifeline relationships because we feel that if you don't have those lifeline relationships, those deep, intimate, kick your butt, tell you the truth, love you no matter what, uh, care for you, help you kind of relationships, the extension of your network is gonna be quite weak. Um, so number one again is just the focus on universal currency. By the way, um, I, I highly advocate therapy. I highly advocate going seeing uh, uh, a coach or a priest or whatever it takes. Some people have such a difficulty trusting other people that sometimes you have to pay somebody to practice learning how to trust. And, and you call them a coach, right? Any The great athletes in the world have at least two or three coaches. If you want to be the best relational athlete, spousal athlete, if you want to be the best leadership athlete, if you want to be the best professional athlete, go get a coach. All right, next layer. Um, the next layer focuses on the professional currency, and I think most people have curated that the most. We, have, we lead in the world with strong professionalism. We bust our butts. We do a great job. We make sure our products are solid, etc. Although I have, to, I have to say that, you know, in retrospect in my life, I spent way too much time early on as an entrepreneur pushing selling as opposed to generously serving. And once I started to generously serve, my product got better uh, as an entrepreneur. So even in that area of professional currency, people who believe that their job is to sell stuff versus serve a community uh, actually don't do as well. The third layer of currency that we all have to curate in making other people successful and creating an environment around us is literally trying to understand what the hell somebody cares about. If you care about your kids, I have a 15-year-old foster son. Anybody who wants to help the foster care system and is willing to put their money and their time behind it, I'll spend time with, right? You and your work around, I mean, if, if you know, I want to get to know you because you're a young mover and a shaker and you're out there in the, in the intellectual property world in a space that I, I would like to, to, to participate in and the work that you're doing, and I'm so proud of, of, of all you've done. I really am so much, so proud of all you've done. I show up here from Los Angeles. I fly in from Los Angeles to do this for you. And then I've got to fly back out again tomorrow morning. I'm here for you because you are on a list of individuals that matter to the intellectual property that I'm trying to perpetuate in the world. You're on a people plan somewhere at Farazi Greenlight that says, Adam's the kind of dude that we want to hang with. Therefore, you serve him. That's, That's a scary thought right there. Well, but, but it's true. If you're doing great things, all I care about and all my firm cares about right now is making a difference in the world around relational competencies and changing people's behavior and moving the world toward a greater degree of relational uh, competency, generosity, um, you know, humanity, and particularly disadvantaged communities, which we can get to later. Anyway, you asked me one question and I spent a lot of time talking about it, but it was really important to us. If you're going to build generosity, you're do building it on three layers. The universal currency of who you are and how you interact with people, 
um, the professional currency of delivering an extraordinary product, and the personal currency of also ultimately saying, you know, you know. By the way, I, I've got some good baby books. Um, I understand that you're a, a new dad, um, and that there's some opportunities for you to consider. Uh, um, you know, things that I can do for you, whatever it is. I want to serve you in whatever way possible to make you uh, a better person, more successful, personally. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. I guess one of the challenges that many of us run into is when we approach networking or relationship building with this idea of helping others, they often react with suspicion. Why do you want to help me? What's in it for you? How do you manage that? Because you be transparent. I think the weirdness is that we think that this has to be something cloistered in any way. Um, I just told you, you're... You're, you're an individual whose intellectual property is making it on the stage. And it's a set of intellectual property that I believe strongly in. So I want you to be more successful. My job is that anybody who is perpetuating a space that I care about, I need to serve them. Because my job is to help other people be as great as they possibly can be as long as it promotes our mission. Um, so and now I told you why. Right? It's very clear, very transparent. That's my agenda, so to speak. Um, and there we go. By the way, when my... When I have an African-American kid, and when, when we brought my boy into our home at 12, uh, I decided I needed more African-American leaders in my life. And so I started reaching out to African-American leaders in the Los Angeles area saying, hey, listen, you know, I've just uh, brought in a foster son. Um, I want this child to have uh, an incredibly strong and proud and rich uh, uh, upbringing as an African-American youth. I want to make sure that there's other influences in my life. So, you know, guy like, guys like Jay, Jay Williams from Duke uh, are now a part of my friendship. But there's nothing wrong with that. Jay's an awesome guy. I'm helping Jay with his, his new book. He's one of the most extraordinary people that I know out there, just as a human, right? I'm going to have him up for dinner soon. You know, th there's nothing wrong with transparency when your heart's in the right place. So when, they, when they're, w w I think suspicion is meaning they're waiting for the shoe to drop, right? Well, just drop the damn shoe right up front. Say, hey, dude, you're interesting. You know, you're a poet. I need more. I want more poets in my life. I, I want journalists in my damn life because I find them, they, they just read, which is relieving in Los Angeles, right? <laughs> so, so I reach out to people and I tell them that. I just tell them that. I love it. So what do most people do wrong when they approach relationships and networks in your experience? It's a mindset. And it's a mindset of what's in it for me, right? That's the first thing. It's a mindset of what's in it for me. And it stinks on their suit a mile away. What's in it for me? Um, it needs to be a values-based judgment of how you're going to live your life. And, and you've got to – now, by the way, I mean, there's an AA slogan uh, called fake it till you make it. And sometimes, yeah, you just got to try shit out until it happens, right? So, you know, the, the point is that little by little by little, you've got to be able to recondition your brain. And that's one of the things about human behavior change. Human behavior change doesn't happen through knowledge. If it happened through knowledge, then nobody on a diet would eat a piece of cake, right? I mean, the, the, the bottom line is we need to experience behavior change, small doses of incremental experiences, positive experiences, not even negative experiences. P small doses of incremental positive experiences change mindsets. So you change the behavior to change the mindset. Um, we, unfortunately, have addictions and I use the word addiction and I follow things like 12-step programs and other mechanisms to shift uh, behavioral addictions because everybody who's watching this has an addiction. There's not a single person that isn't addicted to feeling less than in a room, procrastination, um, 
you know, some behavioral addiction that holds us back, that, you know, being too shy, being too insecure, being too whatever, tempers, all these things are nothing more than addictive behaviors that we practice even though they don't serve us well, right? So little tiny doses of new behaviors, pushing yourself incrementally, will, will be the way in which we change those behaviors. You've got a question, I think. I do, in fact, so I, in the spirit of transparency, so 2005 had a group of MBA students who were reading your first book, Never Eat Alone, and everybody was buzzing about it. It was changing the way they were thinking about networks. I went and read it, and at first it was very hard to process. Uh, as a relatively introverted guy, I want to eat alone. And I think you really pushed me to, to think differently about how I manage my network. What's been the reaction to, to the book over the years? Oh, gosh. I mean, you know, the, the, the best... I, my life has been transformed because of it. Um, it gave me a purpose that I didn't think I'd have. Um, when I was young, I wanted to be in, in politics and then was disillusioned by that. And I mean, I have found my, my way back around to being what I think I was put on this planet for, is to try to make a difference, to make an impact. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a philanthropist, um, I mean, that's a fancy word, as, as somebody who wants to, to help disadvantaged communities, um, what I've, what I've really learned is that that book has given me entree, as now yours has and will. Um, it's really kind of powerful. Uh, what, what I've learned is that when somebody reads that book and is overwhelmed, the way we wrote it was with so many small tactical things you could just try, right? That it's very difficult to ignore the whole body without trying something. And, and people generally navigate their way to trying something. And then when they do, they were like, well, damn, that wasn't that bad. You know, it was actually worked. And then they went more and they went more. And that's exactly, I mean, look, we're transforming massive cultural iconic corporations, uh, behaviors, saving them from, um, from, uh, from, from directions that was uh, you know, potentially um, uh, eviscerating to the entire company. And, and the way we're going about doing that, first of all, the, the most... Uh, the least curated set of behaviors that are necessary for large corporations to change uh, are the relational ones. Because we grow up in large companies through the operations, through the finance, et cetera. And we don't think of the relational, we think of it as woo-woo. Well, we've engineered behavioral understanding. And by engineering behavioral understanding around relationships particularly, um, we've, what we call, we've thin-sliced the practices so that we can give people small doses coated in sugar that give them a chance that to, to begin to shift massive mindset changes. And we've been very proud of, of being able to do that at some pretty damn big companies to extraordinary results. And one particular large telecommunications company over the last two years got $3.2 billion of new pipeline and 1.7 billion of new revenue around key strategic accounts just by applying uh, the intervention uh, methodologies that we put into place. Wow, what kinds of behavior changes are we talking about that, that at least move in that direction? Well, again, behavior changes are, are too broad even. One of the things we're realizing that is that behavior is made up into, of, of a set of practices. So the behavior is we want you to build loyal relationships with your customers. That's been preached for years. On the other hand, to say to an individual, think of three of your customers who you, would, you authentically admire, and I want you to send them an email right now telling them that you authentically admire them and ask for a cup of coffee, right? That's a practice. That's a practice of somebody who's relationally and loyally minded. That one practice with 15 consultants in one of the largest consulting firms in the world created $258 million of new revenue in nothing more than two months. 
because that, that had opened a, an authentic door that they hadn't been willing to open themselves. So it, what we've done is we've thin sliced the practices around unleashing customer experience um, in a retail environment, uh, around strategic account management and large B2B sales, around shifting individuals to self-directed learning within large corporations. So we've got a number of verticals that we have so engineered the behaviors and practices. And then we have come up with our methodology to coach those practices through positive psychology and a number of other levers that uh, we'll be talking a little bit about tonight at the talk um, that we've been, we've been very successful for our, for our clients. It's, it's interesting to hear about the impact on the corporate world. What about in disadvantaged communities? Well, the first one we chose was foster care. Um, uh, actually, that's not true. The first one we chose, I was going down to Guatemala. Um, I just wanted to get away and, and, and help at an orphanage. And I picked one in Guatemala, went down. And I, I thought I was going to go down there to give some money out. And what I realized was that the, the glass ceiling the addiction, the behavioral limitation of these very smart kids, some of them, was that they did not believe that they could break through their cycle of poverty. The best that they could do was going to go out and pick beans in the field like their parents had. Um, and so we started adapting our philosophy and our strategy, basically combining the lifeline groups of, of who's got your back along with the relational outreach of Never Eat Alone similar to what the Grumman Bank does um, for its microlending, but we started teaching high-potential orphans in Guatemala. And it was amazing. These kids never, this, this population didn't go to school. These kids started graduating from high school, uh, going to school, and coming back as nurses, as doctors, and as teachers. So we've got an entire cycle, cycle of, of rejuvenation occurring using this methodology there. We brought it back to the States for third-world kids, I mean, to, for, um, for foster kids. 80% of the U.S. prison population, 80% of the U.S. prison population came from foster care. It's an extraordinarily broken system. It's a major passion of mine. We now have a, a foster son and, uh, and, and perhaps another on our way. We're negotiating that at home right now, whether we can, we can handle it, but our hearts certainly can and our bedrooms are available. So um, really helping kids because these are kids whose relational competency was broken early because their, their primary relationship severed that relational competency. And then they were thrown into a transactional system. No intimacy, no care, no trust, no love. They graduate from that system incapable of bonding, incapable of sitting in front of you, looking you in the eye, and establishing any degree of trust, no job competency. They find families in gangs. They find intimacy in prostitution. Um, they're the highest homelessness rate. It's, it's horrible. And unfortunately, the politicians won't fix this system because none of, nobody caring about these folks votes. And, and it's, when we can't afford our education system for the people who vote, where does the money go? It goes there, not on these kids. So we're, we're, we're doing a major effort there. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And one other question I'd love to close on yeah. is you're known for making introductions and connecting people who don't know each other. Any tips you can offer to our listeners and readers about how to make an excellent introduction? You know, I, I think the key is to do your research. Back in my day, I had card catalogs to do my research on, and now we've got you know, the internet. Um, what you need to do is you need to get into the mind of the person sitting in front of you and put that triangle on top of them. So you've got two people you want to introduce. Make sure that there's value to both of those individuals, right? So if you want to introduce two people to each other, you understand what ideally what their personal uh, uh, currency is in terms of what their demands are. 
What do they most need per, uh, personally and professionally, but mostly personally? Find out what they're, and, and, and if they're senior, chances are they've got some sense of desire to make an impact in this world. How do they want to make an impact? Um, family. You know, there's a chapter in my book, we're talking about this concept of social arbitrage, but social arbitrage of introducing to people applied with health, wealth, and children making a difference, making an impact. Those are the things that really matter to people. So if you can put them together for that purpose, that's a bond that sticks. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.